hello and welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast presented by Manscaped and Untuck It. I am your host TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com. This Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am going to dive into all sorts of things from this Denver Nuggets win over the Miami Heat because there's a lot to digest from this one. First of all, Nuggets win 109-89, to 20-point win over who was looked at and perceived as the best team in the NBA through the first 10 days or so of the NBA season. They were in a position to where the Miami Heat were just running teams. I mean, they were up by like 32 points in the first quarter against the Houston Rockets. And this is a team that has played the best defense in basketball, have been efficient offensively, getting a ton of three-pointers up. And really, their only issue they have had all season long has been the fact that they're turnover prone. So, the Nuggets, who had been completely dysfunctional offensively, inconsistent defensively, and their best player, Nikola Jokic, had been a shell of himself, going into this game, it was hard to have any real concrete take. Is this a situation where the Heat are actually this good? Are the Nuggets actually this bad? Are the Nuggets going to bounce back? Are the Heat going to come back and regress to the mean and kind of come back to reality? Or... Is it going to be a blowout either direction? There was no way of really identifying what to expect in this game, but by the end of it, the Nuggets put all those expectations to bed in whatever way they wanted to. They had a 20-point win. I believe their biggest lead was 27 points. So they took it to this Heat team, especially in the second half. The Nuggets held the Heat to just 41 points in the second half, which really opened up their lead, and that was with... Uh, a very rough fourth quarter in which the Nuggets gave the Heat quite a few chances to at least kind of make it interesting, despite the fact that the game was pretty much entirely out of reach. So, with that being said, what are the takeaways from this game? Because, like I said, there was a lot to digest. The first place to start is to go to milehighsports.com and read my good, bad, and ugly article from this game where I outlined three different topics that I found extremely interesting. I talked about Will Barton's return to the lineup, which I will talk about tonight. I talked about the Nuggets' injuries, uh, the injury bug biting the Nuggets once again, which I will also talk about tonight. And then I also talked about Nikola Jokic not quite being the Nikola Jokic the Nuggets need him to be still which I will also talk about in this podcast. But it's a great place to start to get an idea of where my head is at before you listen to this podcast is just to read those quick 1,100 words on Mile High Sports. But right now, we're going to talk about how this was the most impressive win of the season for the Nuggets. We'll talk about Will Barton III's return to the lineup. Not just return, but the return to the starting lineup. Talk about how Denver's defense continues being great right now. The Nuggets offense bounced back in a big way in this game, in my opinion. Monte Morris started looking like the Monte Morris of old. Jeremy Grant was very strong in this game. He had one of those performances that reminded everybody why people were so high and so excited on what he could bring to the table so we'll talk about Jeremy Grant and those are all of the good things there are a few not not all bad but interesting and not you know blatantly positive takeaways that I had as well one of which is the fact that Michael Porter Jr. was getting multiple chance in the fourth quarter for him to come play by fans because they were just getting rowdy waiting for him to be able to finally step on the court so I found that very interesting we'll talk about 
how Michael Malone was just about ready to explode in the second half, despite the fact that the Nuggets were up by like 25 points. I found that very interesting. We'll talk about the injuries to Gary Harris and Paul Millsap, um, as well as Nikola Jokic's issues and where I kind of stand on it. Again, a lot to digest from this game, but before we go any further, I first need to give a shout out to the Regulators Production Group for creating the beats on the intro and outro and the transition music for this podcast. Go reach out to them for any audio production needs you have at Regulators Regime on Instagram. They are awesome at what they do, so any audio production needs that you may need, make sure to go reach out to them. So we're going to take our first break, and I'll be back on the other side to talk about the positive takeaways from this game. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall to the perfect untucked length. And with the holiday season near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of just short and stubby as a person, so it's hard to find those perfectly fitting button-down shirts and I don't know about you guys in this way, but I'm very casual. I'm not always trying to wear a belt and be all tucked in and claustrophobic with my outfits. So for me, being able to use Untuck It is amazing. They have more than 50 plus fit combinations. Untuck It shirts like look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. So if you're like me and you need to find that shirt that kind of fits your obscure size, this is the perfect place to go. So whether you're shopping for a perfect holiday gift or trying to craft a smart, relaxed style on your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's UntuckIt.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Let's start with the positives from this one, because clearly when you win by 20 points against a team that was perceived as the best team in basketball, it makes a lot of sense to start with the good things being that, you know, they're good and the Nuggets had a good win. So while there were some negative things, let's just start with what was important, and that was the fact that the Nuggets got their most impressive win of the season. And this Nuggets team, again, they have been dysfunctional. They have not been in a headspace that have allowed them to be the best possible team that they can be. So because of that, the question became, what is it going to take for them to break out of their funk? Normally, when you ask that question, the answer is not take on the best team in basketball who has been the best defense in basketball at the height of their hot streak and find a way to win handedly. No one expected that to be a situation, but yet... The Nuggets made that happen. I mean, this is a team that was had the best net rating in basketball, the best defensive rating in basketball, and the Nuggets had 
or they shot 52.3% from the field, 39% from three, got to the free throw line 16 times, had 35 assists, 10 steals. They were just everywhere. I mean, 56 points in the paint to the 46 the Heat had. They outscored them by three in second chance points. They had seven more fast break points in this game. The Nuggets beat this Miami Heat team in every single possible way that they could. And that is what was most impressive to me was that this was a dominating performance. It was close throughout most of the first half. Don't get me wrong. It was a one-point game after the first quarter. And it wasn't until the Nuggets had a good quick stretch in the second quarter that allowed them to extend their lead to 10 points that they were able to take control of this game. Then they ended up winning by 10 points in the third quarter. And that was pretty much the end of that. They turned it on after... After that first quarter and really were able to put a fork in this Miami Heat team earlier than expected. So for a Nuggets team that needed a feel good win for a team that needed some confidence to remember how much fun it is to play this brand of basketball. They got that against one of the best teams in basketball right now and a team that really has a lot of players who make life difficult for the Nuggets. Jimmy Butler is an insanely good defender. Justice Winslow is starting at point guard at 6 foot 8 hounding people. Bam Adebayo is no slouch defensively and Kendrick Nunn is stocky. He could do it as a tank of a human being. So this is a team that has a lot of good defenders on it. Kelly Olynyk is no slouch himself. James Johnson helps quite a bit. And the Nuggets just took it to him. So overall, that was one of the most important takeaways from this game was that the Nuggets had no fear. They did not care who was in front of them. They worried about Denver Nuggets basketball. And that is what allowed them to win this game. They played their brand of basketball. 35 assists on 45 made shots. They hit their threes. They got downhill, finished at the rim. And that was exactly what you wanted to see. So overall, to get this kind of a feel-good win is extremely important for this Denver Nuggets team. Let's talk about Will Barton, who made his appearance after missing two games due to what was called left toe inflammation. There's five toes on your left foot, so I'm not exactly sure which toe we're talking about, but there was some kind of swelling with one of his toes on his left feet. So what that led to was him missing two games. And Malone had said at practice the day before this game that he was questionable to doubtful, but then pregame he had been upgraded to probable. If you followed my Twitter or Brendan Vote, um, we both spoke about how Will Barton was taking part in shooting drills at practice and had this swagger about him, was talking about how his jumper was back and all of those things. And you really saw his confidence and his swagger manifest itself in his game for this performance against the Heat. And it wasn't just that he was gunning. I mean, he took 10 shots, which was fourth most on the team, nothing crazy. Um, only took two threes, got to the free throw line five times. But this is the thing. 15 points on 10 shots is very efficient. To grab 10 rebounds in 32 minutes as a 6 foot 5 small forward who doesn't weigh a whole lot is really really impressive in my opinion. He also had 4 assists, he had a steal and a block shot and was a team high plus 23 in this game. If you've listened to this podcast since this season has started, you have heard me explain why it's so important that the Nuggets have a multifaceted offensive wing on the floor with Nikola Jokic while he's struggling with Jamal Murray while he's trying to learn to take the reins of the offense when things really go awry. So having Will Barton back out there, it's incredible the night and day difference that you get because 
It's not, and this is the thing. I've done a lot of bashing of Torrey Craig on this podcast. I won't hide from that. Torrey Craig is a not a bad NBA player. He's actually a good NBA player in the right system. But asking him to be a guy who can be an offensive creating wing if things go wrong is not anywhere near what his skill set is. So now that the Nuggets had Will Barton on the floor, you immediately saw exactly what that kind of offensive versatility gives to the Nuggets. Jamal Murray, when he has been running the offense too much, can give the ball up to Will Barton, who can be an initiator, who can slash to the rim, collapse the defense, and kick out to off-ball shooters. He can go get his own shot if he wants to. He can score in isolation. He can do all different kinds of things from that position. So all of a sudden, Jamal Murray can go to an off-ball role. All of a sudden, Nikola Jokic does not have to feel the burden of being the entire offensive fulcrum or the engine because Will Barton can do it. And then to have that and also add it to the fact that he was aggressive as all hell defensively and productive. I've spoken about this on this podcast as well. Will Burton is not just energetic and um, playing with a sense of urgency defensively this year. Will Barton has been a productive and helpful and determined defender regardless of who stands across from him in all of the minutes that he has played so far this season. I have been thoroughly impressed about how really just how dominant he can be. I did not know that Will Barton had this gear defensively. I don't think really anybody did because he had shown that he has moments where you can see his length and athletic ability and quickness be able to thrive defensively, but it's never been sustained over any long period of time. I mean, let alone one game talking about the ability to play it over six. I mean, Will Barton has been, he was probably the Nuggets best defender tonight. And there's an argument. He has been the Nuggets best defender this season. His defensive rating right now, let me pull it up because I forgot what the exact number was, but Will Barton right now, he has a defensive rating of 90.8 individually in 150 minutes, which leads the Denver Nuggets, which has also led to the fact that he is a plus 18 net rating, which also leads the Nuggets. He has been such an important part of what has made them great. And that's why after this game, I was really curious because as you heard me talk about again, going back to before he got hurt last season and the year before, he was the ideal starting small forward that the Nuggets had to start with this unit. And Will Barton had said before he got hurt in that Phoenix game that he felt like his defense was coming along in the correct ways, that he felt like he was learning the right way to be an impactful defender for this Nuggets team, not just to be a wild chicken with your head cut off defender trying to just make chaos happen, but for what the Nuggets need from him. And I asked him tonight, and I was like, is this what you meant by by how excited you were for what defense you were playing? Was this the defense that you were excited to show off before getting hurt last year? And he was like, yes, absolutely. This is what he has been waiting to show so many people. And the fact that he's been able to be such a productive defender has opened up the versatility of the Nuggets lineups tremendously. He can play shooting guard, point guard, or small forward and defend all those different positions. So, and this is the thing. He's not just defending scrubs here. He was on Jimmy Butler for most of the night tonight. By the way, Jimmy Butler was 3 of 12 from the field tonight, had three turnovers only and four assists. He did get to the free throw line 12 times, but that's Jimmy fucking Butler you're talking about. He's not just a guy. This is an all-NBA, elite-level player who was a dog on both ends of the court that Will Barton had stonewalled in this game. That doesn't happen. That is not just a one-off. When you can do that against a player like Jimmy Butler, and I go back to what he was able to do against Paul George in the playoffs last year, 
Will Barton has a higher gear defensively that is going to be so important for the development of this Denver Nuggets team as a whole. If he can be that guy, really be that two-way stud wing player for this Nuggets team, they suddenly check off a big part of their box and they can really start to build their rotation for fit, not just trying to get more defenders in the rotation to be able to be more versatile. So... That was so impressive. Will Barton's overall game was so impressive tonight, and he was the best player on the floor for both teams regardless. He was absolutely dominant, and the Nuggets do not win this game considering all the things that went wrong with Gary Harris getting hurt, Paul Millsap getting hurt, Nikola Jokic having foul trouble. It was Will Barton that was able to stem the tide for this Denver Nuggets team, and people need to remember just how damn good he is when he's on. The other thing in this game was that Denver's defense has just been really, really good for stretches of time this season. I mean, when you hold this Heat team to 36.4% from the field, 31% from three, they also shot 64% from the foul line, and the Nuggets forced them into, and the Nuggets had 10 steals to go with three block shots. That's a very, very, very good defensive game. And it wasn't just that the numbers raw were good, it was who they were able to shut down. Jimmy Buller was 3 of 12 in this game. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, who Michael Malone had spoken about as a point of emphasis, was 4 of 14. Duncan Robinson, who was spoken about as a point of emphasis, was 1 of 6. Tyler Hero was 1 of 4. They picked the correct players to limit, and they were able to fully um, swallow up what makes their offense functional. Michael Malone spoke about not wanting them to get open buckets by cutting, and they are such a good off-ball cutting team. The Nuggets had high hands all night and were getting into the passing lanes, making it very difficult to get the ball to cutters down low for easy baskets. They were able to swallow up those sets quite a bit. And when you can also shut down Jimmy Butler as an individual who is the bailout plan for the Miami Heat offense... That just makes it that much more difficult. So overall, really, really impressive defensive game from this Nuggets team. The Heat were 23 of 48 inside the paint tonight, under 50%. That is just an absolutely incredible number. And when you hold a team to just 41 points in the second half, you're almost always going to find a way to, you know, at least give yourself a good chance to win that game. So it seems like this Denver Nuggets defense is for real. I can't decide how sustainable it is. Last year it was great to start and started falling off. They had the benefit of a lot of missed threes against them, but they've been playing damn well again this year, and I'm very curious to see if they can continue to sustain this. Um... On the other end of the floor, the Nuggets' offense also bounced back in a big way. Michael Malone has hammered the idea of the Nuggets have not been able to finish at the rim well, they have not hit open shots, and they have not been a great team at points in the paint. Well, tonight, the Nuggets not only had, what was it? 56 points in the paint on 28 of 44 shooting, but they also had 12 second chance points. They had a season high in field goal percentage at 52.3%, a season high in assists at 35, and a season high in total points, and they did it against the best defense in basketball. This Nuggets offense finally found their rhythm and their groove to a degree, and what was so funny was that it was without Nikola Jokic for long stretches. It was without Gary Harris for the entire second half and Paul Millsap. It was really Will Barton and Jamal Murray putting this Nuggets team on their back and really making a run at being able to attack this Miami Heat team and be the aggressors regardless of the fact that three of their best players were not playing. The other side of it too is that the players who stepped up for them 
were really, really important. Jeremy Grant had a great game. I'll talk about him a little bit more later. As um, But Mason Plumley as well was very good. Mason Plumley was 5 of 9 from the field in this game. 7 rebounds, 3 assists. He, goes, he had 10 points, was a plus 8 overall. Sorry about that noise. That's my cat losing her mind. Um, but... To have players like Mason Plumley, who has been a starter on a playoff team before as a center, to be able to come in for Nikola Jokic and be able to provide so many similar qualities, not on the same level, he's not anywhere near as talented as Nikola, but to add those same qualities has given the Nuggets such a benefit off the bench. And then for Jeremy Grant, 6 of 13, hit a couple threes, blocked some shots, really had his first good game as a Nugget as well. That was able to make up for a lot of the Nuggets' issues of just not having their best players. So, despite only getting getting a half of basketball from basically Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, and Paul Millsap, the Nuggets had their best offensive showing tonight, and that was notable in my opinion. I don't know if it's a good thing that they were able to be that good without them, but lo and behold, the Nuggets were still able to have a very, very good offense. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit more in the, in, in, when I talk about the bad stuff with Nikola Jokic, but Jokic, after the game, was asked about the fact that his teammates were able to carry the day while he was not able to play as much. And he said, they don't depend on me. And I don't know if this was like a lost in translation thing. If he didn't mean to say it in that way, it's not fair for me to project too much on someone when I don't know what's in their head, but this Nuggets team does depend on Nikola Jokic. This Nuggets team absolutely needs him to be the fulcrum. They need him on the court. Yes, they can win games without him, but they're never going to be their best without him playing his best. So that was worrisome, but it was good that, yes, they were able to produce without Nikola Jokic. Um, let's move on, though. Monte Morris looked like Monte Morris of old. This was so important to me. So, the Nuggets bench unit has a ton of weapons. No one will argue that. Mason Plumlee is a very good center. Jeremy Grant's a very good power forward. Malik Beasley is a very good shooter. Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig are both very productive wings. At you know, We'll see about Michael Porter Jr. in time, but these are all players who could start on other teams. Mason Plumlee was a starter on a playoff team. Jeremy Grant was a starter on a playoff team. Torrey Craig was a starter on a playoff team. Malik Beasley has an argument that he should start at some point for somebody because he's been that good. And Monte Morris is arguably the most steady backup point guard in basketball not named Fred Van Vliet. That is an insane lineup, but the only thing that is going to make all of it work, the glue that fits all of these different weapons together into this gigantic weapon system that is like a Death Star when they actually get going there, is Monte Morris. He has to be what the player who puts everybody in the correct spot, can facilitate in the correct way, gets them into the correct sets at the correct time. That is all on Monte to be that guy. So tonight... He was that guy, and the Nuggets were so much better for it. The Nuggets bench tonight, let me add this up, 25, 33. The Nuggets bench had 41 points tonight, and they were very, very good. Mason Plumlee, 5 of 9 from the field. Jeremy Grant, 6 of 13. Torrey Craig, 2 of 3. Malik Beasley, who has not been good, was 1 of 3. Uh, Monte Morris, 5 of 7. Michael Porter Jr., 2 of 2. This Nuggets bench looked much, much better, in my opinion. So... I was very happy to see it, and I think a big part of it was that Monte Morris was Monte Morris again. He ended up hitting five of his seven shots. He did miss his only three, but two rebounds, eight assists, only one turnover, a block shot, and a steal. That's exactly what you're looking for from Monte Morris. Be an efficient scorer. Get to your spots on the floor. He had a couple great mid-range looks that he was going and finding. He had a couple good finishes at the rim, creating for players all over the court. 
This is the Monte Morris the Nuggets need every night. If he can do this, the Nuggets bench unit will find its way to becoming a top three bench unit in the NBA. It may take time, but man, you can see it from afar. They weren't great tonight. Um, all of them are actually a positive, other than Monte Morris and Malik Beasley, but you can see why there is so much hope for this Nuggets bench unit. But those hopes are going to end up falling on Monte Morris's shoulders to get everybody in the correct spot at the correct time, like I was saying before. Also, like I teased, Jeremy Grant had his first real legitimate game for the Nuggets. 6 of 13 is not incredible. He got a little bit um, erratic in the fourth quarter. Uh, 2 of 6 from 3, though. Good to see him finally knock down some threes. He had five rebounds in this game, three assists. I've been talking before about how I think his passing and his handles and his ability to create off the bounce, you're going to see more and more of this year. So for him to get three assists like that and also get two steals and be a plus eight um, or a plus three in his 29 minutes, it was a good game. And it was nice to see him play alongside Nikola Jokic. There's nothing like a concrete takeaway from his game. It's more of just... Jeremy Grant finally played well for the Nuggets, and it was going to take time, but he did play well in this game, and it was extremely important to notate, in my opinion. I'm going to take a quick break, and we will come back and talk about the four negative things I saw from this game. didn't already know, support for the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I don't know if you're like me, but it's not very easy to find correct products to keep things nice and clean down below. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing in the past, and you don't have to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls, because that is just absolutely nasty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest parts of your body? So get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. A 20-point win, don't get me wrong, again, Nuggets had a 20-point win over the best team in basketball, but there are still some negative things to get to, and the first and most obvious ones are, of course, the injury to Gary Harris and the injury to Paul Millsap. So, Gary Harris, at the end of the first half, ended up turning his ankle, it seemed like, and he did not come back for the rest of the game. We got a text from PR saying that he was going to be out with a left an- or with an ankle injury. So, 
when I started to dig a little deeper, it sounded like things weren't too bad. Um, he was ruled out pretty quickly, but it sounded like he might have even been able to play if it was like a playoff game. Um, Michael Malone, after the game, said that he thinks that he could have a chance to play against Philly coming up on Friday. I was also told the same thing from a source inside the Nuggets organization, that it wasn't that bad and that guys were in high spirits. So overall, I think that thing that the Nuggets dodged a bullet with Gary Harris. I think Gary Harris also dodged a bullet. Don't forget that Gary Harris has had so many lower body injuries throughout his career that have derailed what should have been some seriously great seasons of his. So, if Gary Harris had another lower body injury, because he's had um, he's had a foot injury, hamstring injury, a core injury, he had um, an ankle injury, and now he's another ankle injury, um, a groin injury. He's had so many of these lower extremity issues that if this w- ended up becoming something serious then you almost couldn't avoid the injury-prone label for him. So the fact that this is just a basketball, you know, my rolled my ankle should be okay in a few days once I get some rest and rehab is a very promising sign. When it comes to Paul Millsap, Myers Leonard in the third quarter put a shoulder into um, into Paul Millsap, which launched Paul Millsap's head into Justice Winslow's head, which led to Paul Millsap's head bursting open and bleeding everywhere, essentially. So, Justice Winslow was down for a while, ended up being okay. Paul Millsap went to the bench, had a towel on his head, almost left the court to go to the locker room, but got called back and asked if he wanted to shoot free throws, which would have allowed him to come back into the game if he was able to do so. Paul Millsap, despite bleeding profusely from the forehead, threw on a ridiculously tight headband, hit two free throws anyway, went to the locker room, got 11 stitches on his head, and then posted a selfie on Instagram of him smiling with a stuffed bear. I don't really know what that tells you guys, but that's what happened. And that was apparently a thing that was going to happen to the Nuggets tonight. Um, Like Gary Harris, it sounds like Paul Millsap should be able to play against the Philadelphia 76ers on Friday, but they're both, both of their statuses are still up in the air. The Nuggets are not going to practice on Wednesday, November 6th. We will not be able to get an injury update then, but they will be practicing on November 7th, it sounds like, so we'll be able to get a better picture of where they're at after a day of rest and then a day of getting some work in at the facility and get a better idea of where both Gary Harris or Paul Millsap are at, but overall, considering the circumstances it really seems like the Nuggets dodged one hell of a bullet that's some Neo in the Matrix shit right there I mean for how many injuries the Nuggets dealt with last season to to specifically Paul Millsap the past two years and Gary Harris the past two years when you see each of them go down within three minutes of game time of each other you tend to get pretty damn nervous. So this was a hell of a win for the Nuggets, despite the fact that they did get hurt because it does not seem that there will be any long-standing issues so moving on One of the funniest, most concerning, I'm not sure what I feel about it, parts of this game was Michael Malone just being livid in the fourth quarter. Nuggets were up by 27 at one point in the fourth quarter, and Michael Malone was on the sideline just seething. I tweeted this out, but if anybody watches It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and the episode where the gang tries to make the boat and Dennis sinks his Land Rover, and then he tries to sell it from the sunken part of the docking bay and then yells at every single individual who comes by him and he is an untethered rage or whatever that was Michael Malone in the fourth quarter tonight I have not seen him that irritable in a game in a very long time and don't get me wrong 
Malone moved past it when he came and spoke to the media after the after the game. He was like, you know what? I took my couple minutes, had a few deep breaths, and I'm good. We had a 20-point win. We're going to figure some things out. I didn't like everything in the fourth quarter, but we're good. But when you were watching him on the on the sidelines during that fourth quarter, it was hard not to laugh and just kind of be aware of what was happening. Malone might have aged five years in just that 12-minute fourth quarter. That's what it looked like. There was so many, I think he took three rage timeouts in the fourth quarter alone. He had Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and Will Barton all on the floor until like the four-minute mark. He was just livid. There was a point where, I can't remember, what, I don't remember what the play was, but Michael Malone took a rage timeout after it, walked out in the middle of the court just shaking his head not looking at anybody walked back after the timeout was like getting after his guys in the huddle and then once play resumed he sat down looked up to the ceiling and Wes Unsell Jr. his lead assistant took over the coaching duties for the next couple minutes to allow Michael Malone to cool out a little bit that is just such a funny thing to me that you can have you can be up by 25 or more you know win by 20 and just be that livid and furious and frustrated and you know viscerally angry what was happening on the court it speaks to who Malone is as a person. If you don't know Michael Malone, that should tell you everything you, you need to know about his intensity and his drive to win. But it was just such a funny sight. I mean, he benched Nikola Jokic at the end of the third quarter. He deadass brought him to the bench, sat him down, and made him sit for four minutes after, after being just furious with the turnover he had, which was actually Tory Craig's fault, by the way. But it was just such a funny thing to watch. Michael Malone demands perfection. Michael Malone wants his Nuggets team to play winning basketball regardless of what the circumstances in the game are. Down by 20, up by 20, doesn't matter to him. So that's what he lived up to. He calmed himself down after the game, came talk to media, was smiling, laughing, having a great time. So overall, you know, it's fine that he's this intense, but I worry about that man's health sometimes. Like, that dude was hot during that part of the game. So, I found that notable and thought I'd bring it up. Um, Nikola Jokic, though. This is a very, very real issue. Nikola Jokic does not want to lead. And this is not saying that Nikola Jokic has said he doesn't want to lead. This is not any kind of clue that Michael Malone has said he doesn't want to lead. It's just the way his mannerisms are, his frustration with his players on the court, the fact that when he was asked if Will Barton helps tonight for like the overall starting unit and for himself, he just said no, he's like everybody else. The fact that he said the team doesn't depend on him, the fact that Jamal Murray has had to become that alpha because Nikola Jokic simply just hasn't done it himself, these are issues. Like The Nuggets don't... I, I, Jamal Murray cannot be the guy. And that's not to say Jamal Murray doesn't have the talent to be the guy, but for how the Nuggets are constructed, everything is built around Nikola Jokic. So Nikola Jokic has to be the one to take ownership of this team. If it becomes the Jamal Murray show, all of this ta- like perfect tailor- you know, tailoring of the Denver Nuggets team to fit Nikola Jokic's specifications was all for nothing. Like I don't understand why... N- you know what? It's not fair. Nikola Jokic is young, and he has not ever been asked to be in this situation before. So it's it's not fair for me to ask him just to be able to be okay with this. But he needs to learn how to become somewhat of a leader for this Nuggets team beyond just how he plays on the court. Jamal Murray, if you read my story about Jamal Murray's leadership, said that Nikola Jokic doesn't talk. He leads by example. And when Nikola Jokic is not playing the way he needs to play, that Jamal Murray felt the need to step into that role. So the reason that Jamal Murray has had his speech to the Nuggets after losing to the Pelicans has become this leader that everyone keeps talking about is because Nikola Jokic hasn't. 
And don't get me wrong, I, I do think Jamal Murray would have grown into some kind of leadership role anyway, but the fact that he's had no choice because Nikola Jokic just hasn't is an issue. We're going to have to wait and see how this develops over time, but I think it's very clear that it might end up becoming a situation in which is there going to be a power struggle between who leads, who is the best player, who the offense is built around, whose numbers getting called, because Nikola Jokic isn't stepping up to lead but is the best player, while Jamal Murray is stepping up to lead but is not the best player. That's a very tough dichotomy to balance, and it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Thank you guys so much for listening, sticking around, being a part of this podcast, leaving reviews on iTunes, leaving five-star reviews, subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, sharing the podcast on social media, sending in questions for me to answer. All of those things make this podcast so much better. You guys, as listeners, are the reason this podcast continues to grow. So thank you guys very much. Thank you to Manscaped. Thank you to Untucked It or Untuck It. Thank you to uh, the Regulators Production Group. Thank you to Terrapin Care Station for all of the different help they have provided this podcast it's going to keep growing there's going to be more and more i will be back on uh probably thursday after the nuggets have practice to outline what had happened on practice where some injury updates are and things like that but until then we will talk to you guys later have a great rest of your day Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a seam retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com.